0: Word of God this morning from the Gospel of John. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and now may God graciously bless it to us, burn it into our hearts, for it is the very Word of God, that which transforms and changes us now and forever. Please be seated. If you would, grab your Bibles. As always, I encourage you to have the Word in front of you, John chapter 14. We have Bibles in the back. If you have forgotten yours or want one, you can take one of the ones that are there, John 14. The Apostle Paul... Uh, many of you are familiar with. The Apostle Paul is well known for the missionary travels in which he took. He's also well known for writing so much of the biblical material that we have here. We often spend times in Paul's letters. But if you read in the book of Acts, you also read that Paul was a tremendous missionary. He brought the gospel many places where the gospel had never been known before. But sometimes he went to places where the gospel was already known where the church had already been planted, and he met other believers there. One time he goes to uh, Ephesus, a town in uh, the Greek islands, or, uh, sorry, in the, uh, off the Greek coast there on the um, uh, Turkish mainland. Uh, he goes to Ephesus, and while he is there, he meets up with some believers, some people who are proclaiming to be Christians, and he's very excited about that, and as he gets talking to them, he realizes that there's a slight difference, that there's something that they're talking about as they talk about the faith that he's not sure he follows quite completely, and he says to them, have you been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And those believers said, no, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, This is in Acts chapter 19 where you can see that story. And it's really instructive, I think, because so many of us perhaps know that there is a Holy Spirit, but act all too often just like those Ephesian believers where we say, I didn't even know there was. Oh, Holy Spirit. We are in our series where we are looking at the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed, a great summary of the content in which the believer believes and tr- puts his trust in. And really, I don't want you to lose sight of that twofold goal here as we continue through a series of looking at the Apostles' Creed. We are summarizing the biblical text, trying to say, hey, what, what's an easy way for us to articulate two different things? First, what is the content in which we believe? Christians, the essence of faith for Christians is not that emotional sense that we have some powerful faith, but that we have faith in something. It's the content of our faith that separates Christians away from every other human being. Christians have their faith, put their trust, they hold passionately to a certain content, uh, and that is well summarized in the Apostles' Creed. But secondly... The Apostles' Creed does not simply articulate a bunch of doctrines that we all have to agree to. The Apostles' Creed articulates for us that which we put our trust in. It's a great witnessing tool to say, look, this is what I rely upon. This is what I have faith in. Not just what I believe intellectually, but what I lean into, And one of the doctrines, one of the passages that we all recited a few minutes ago, and I hope you got a chance to say it because I can tell you now what you said is that you said and articulated, I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Ghost. We first talked about how we believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. Then we talked about how we believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son. And now we are speaking of the third line here that says, I believe in the Holy Ghost. Let's clarify one thing here for a second, uh, as quickly as we can. We've got the Holy Ghost, and we have the Holy Spirit. If you've been paying attention to the worship so far, Brendan has led us to articulate that idea of welcoming the Holy Spirit. And there's is, so is it the Holy Spirit? Is it the Holy Ghost? Okay. About 500 years ago, when they were first translating the Bible into English, the word ghost and the word spirit basically were the exact same, they had the same English meaning in the English ears. They both kind of meant a, a disembodied spiritual being, a ghost or the spirit were both disembodied, that is that they were spiritual beings without a physical form. And so when the early Bible translators translated the Bible into English, including the Apostles' Creed and other documents, they would easily translate the the Greek or the Latin word for spirit or ghost. They would use either ghost or spirit because the words were interchangeable. So if you look through the King James Version, for instance, you will see that about two-thirds of the time they use the word ghost and about one-third of the time they use the word spirit, just back and forth interchangeable. Fast forward about 300 years and the word ghost begins to take on the sense that we kind of associate with it today, kind of some, the emanation, you know, manifestation of some vague kind of uh, form, uh, you know, uh, what happens when our, the spirit leaves the body, there's a ghost that hovers over things or something, you know, horror filmish like that. Uh, so the word ghost begins to take on this idea Uh, you know, the Ghostbusters or something. Consequently, about 200 years ago, all of the English translations from here on forward just stick with the idea of the Holy Spirit. They use the word spirit because spirit and ghost no longer kind of mean exactly the same thing. So when we say the Apostles' Creed and we all stand together and say, look, I believe in the Holy Ghost, we're not We're just using an old English word to identify the very person in which we are speaking of today, the Holy Spirit. So this is how we run into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And the emphasis, of course, once again, as we've been talking about this, is who do we trust in? Who do we rely upon? And in that phrase, when we say, I believe in the Holy Ghost, we are saying, I trust, I rely upon the Holy Spirit. But once again, I fear that so many of us are going to say those words and not really know what it is that we are talking about. And so we want to go to John 14 and look a little bit at the words of Jesus. Now, just to set up the stage a little bit here, John 14 happens right after the Last Supper. So you get in mind the Easter season. If you know the the Easter story, uh, Jesus here has uh, been... Spending his last moments with his disciples, and he has informed the, la- the disciples that this is the last moment. There is tension in the air. It's not a great surprise to the disciples when Jesus is about to be arrested two or three hours after this event. And he gathers disciples together and he says, Look, I've got something I've got to tell you. And then he speaks to them some of the words that are recorded here in John 14 and onward. When I was a kid, um, I uh, got myself in my fair share of trouble. Uh, I did some things that, not nothing terrible. I mean, some things that were terrible, but I'm not going to talk about those. But I did other things that were just kind of the normal bad things in which you did. And my parents uh, were forced to discipline me and had at their tools the uh, kind of discipline that most people use and stuff like that. Now, this was uh, quite a number of decades ago, and so spanking was something that they did and uh, and unfortunately did rather frequently at certain spots. So whenever I got myself into trouble, uh, my dad would say, go down to the shed or go down to the shop, and I know down at the shop was where he used his paddle and, and those kind of things, and so I'd go down there and I'd be all nervous and scared and those kind of things, and and then and then he'd say something almost every time that I was just like, that just can't be true. As he's spanking me, he's saying, you don't know this now, but this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I kept thinking, well, I know how to solve that problem. <laughs> you know, quit spanking <laughs> quit spanking both of us, and neither one of us will hurt. But he kept saying that, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I, I was just like, that's just something that a parent said, because that can't be true, because this really hurts. And yet he kept saying that. Those, that idea, this hurts me more than it hurts you, and just sitting there thinking, and that can't be the case, has got that mentality, has got to override the disciples during this experience with Jesus when Jesus says to them, a couple of different times in these couple of chapters, between chapter 13, 14 and chapter 16 of John, where Jesus a couple of times says, it is to your advantage that I go. It's good for you, disciples, if I leave you. And the disciples have got to be sitting there, and I hope that you've thought this if you've, as you've read the Gospel of John, and you read that line, and you sit there and think, okay, I kind of know what Jesus is talking about, but that just can't be true. Who here wouldn't want Jesus himself to walk into the room? Who here wouldn't want him in the pulpit today? Who here wouldn't want Jesus every minute that you are going through difficulties in your life, the sufferings that you go through, or the joys? Wouldn't it be great if you have this great family gathering today to watch the Super Bowl, and everybody's having fun, and you look across the room, and there's Jesus sitting on the couch cheering? Because whichever team is winning, because a stealer suddenly made it. No, you know, he's, that's what we want. We, it's, we want Jesus. It's impossible to imagine anything else. And when Jesus says, it's to your advantage, it's good for you if I leave, we hear those words and you go, if you're a believer and you follow this passage and you know why Jesus says it, you still sit there and say, I just don't believe that because what Jesus says and what he means is if I go, and when I go, look at verse 15 of our text here today. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, so this is Jesus speaking, he says, if I go, I I won't do this unless I leave. But if I leave you, if I am taken, crucified, Now, in Jesus' mind, he knows resurrected and then ascends to heaven. If I leave you, disciples, then know this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. Now, if you've got the text here, do we have helper capitalized? We do. Okay, if you've got the text here, you see that helper is capitalized. Now, if you read on a little bit further in the text, and particularly you get to verse 26, it's really explicit. Jesus says, but the helper, that is, the Holy Spirit. So we know who the helper here is. The helper is the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus says here is, it is for your benefit. It is good for you if I leave. Because if I leave, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is better for you to have than me. Now I just think that's incredibly hard for us to imagine. What could be better than Jesus? In Jesus's mind, the presence of the Holy Spirit for each and every believer in this room is better for you than Jesus's own very presence. And it's really hard to understand that until we get to the text and read exactly what Jesus is saying. He says, I will send you another helper. Now again, the word helper there is capitalized because it's speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you are familiar with other Bibles or if you've read other Bibles, other translations, you know that it doesn't always say the helper. This is one of these words that gets translated sometimes as helper, sometimes as advocate, sometimes as counselor, very often as comfort or comforter. Um, There there are a number of different ways in which that term is implied, all because, all built around the idea that this word, whatever, it's paraclete in the Greek, um, whatever this word means, it means somebody who knows that you're in trouble, who looks, sees, knows that you're in trouble, and then comes alongside of you with the intention to aid you, but not just to aid you, but to carry you along the way. The idea of, the, of this word, whatever this word, however best to translate it, helper in, our, in the ESV here, is that this is somebody who sees you, knows exactly the trouble that you are in, and then comes not just to help you, but in order to actually take over for you. Now that's one of the reasons why helper is kind of an okay term But helper kind of has the impression of a somebody who's kind of alongside secondary counselor is a good phrase but for us we have camp counselor or a marriage counselor somebody that gives advice or or direction and it's not quite that it's more like an advocate okay uh, a legal counselor somebody who comes and stands in your place and takes your your case on as their own Okay, that's kind of closer, comforter. Comforter is the word that is most frequently used and on a contemporary level, a comforter is somebody that gives you emotional uh, comfort or somebody that eases your pain or eases your your discomfort and that's part of the idea. But comforter, the word itself, comes from comfort, the the COM part on the front means with you and then fortify. The comforter is a person who comes with, alongside of you to fortify you, to strengthen you. And this is the idea of what Jesus says will happen if he goes away, since he went away. He promises for us that he will send another counselor, comforter, advocate, helper, somebody who is going to know you exactly as you are and then come alongside you and carry you along. Now, it's another comforter, another counselor, another helper. Well, who's the first one? If this is another one, if the Holy Spirit comes and he's the second comforter or he's another comforter, another helper, who's the original helper, comfort? Of course, it is Jesus himself. Jesus is saying, if I go then I will send you another one, somebody who is just like me. And so the reason why we proclaim with such authority, I believe in the Holy Ghost. We trust in the Holy Ghost because in trusting in the Holy Ghost, in trusting in the Holy Spirit, we are entrusting in Christ himself. He is the one who is sending us the Holy Spirit, to doubt, to downplay, to ignore, not to be aware of the power, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is clearly to ignore exactly what Jesus says he is going to do and give for us to live our lives. The Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus as another counselor, another comforter, another helper, But more than that, if you'll continue on in verse 16, you see this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Okay, first off, we realize that we trust in Jesus Christ. Why? Uh, Sorry, we trust in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he is sent by Christ as Christ to us. He is sent by Jesus to be our comforter, to be our help, to be our advocate. So to fail to trust in the Holy Spirit is to fail to trust in Jesus Christ, that's first. Secondly, but he will be with you, the text says, that he will be with you forever. Now again, this with you idea, he comes alongside you, he is right there with you. But, what's the problem with, why, why do we need another comforter? Because Jesus himself, is leaving. Jesus is leaving because he has a job to do. What is Jesus's job? Jesus's job is the cross. What is the Spirit's job? The Spirit's job is you. What Jesus is intended to do, why Christ has come to this world, is to sacrifice his life on the cross for your redemption. Why the Spirit comes to this world is so that he might be with you. Take Christ's sacrifice and apply it specifically to your life. And so he will be with you, but here's the big kicker of verse 16. He will be with you forever. The very fear that the disciples are suffering under, the very constraint that the disciples are moaning about, the fact that this one that they have followed for three years, this one that they know is the Christ, the son of the living God, he's telling them he's leaving. And they're sitting there saying, how can we survive without Christ with us? And Jesus says, I will send you another one who will never leave you. The struggles that we have as believers with loneliness, with depression, with sorrow, with loss, with an abandonment, with confusion about how we live our lives, every one of those issues are touched on by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you always. It doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean that we won't feel lonely. It doesn't mean that we won't suffer different things. What it does mean is when we stand here and say, hey, part of the content of the Christian faith is to acknowledge the presence of the Holy Ghost, the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is with you always. In that I will trust. In that, I will put my confidence. So we trust in the Holy Spirit because he is sent by God the Father through the word of the Son specifically to be with us forever. But more than just being with us forever, as great as that is, take a look then at verse 17. Verse 17. Even the spirit, that is, uh, who am I talking about? The Holy, the helper here, the another helper. Even the spirit of truth, that is, the spirit of truth is who this is. Um, earlier in the chapter, in, uh, earlier in chapter 14, Jesus himself says, look, I am the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way, I am the life. And here, the spirit is being identified again as the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive Because it neither sees him nor knows him. Why does the world not receive Christ? Because it has no faith. Consistently, the biblical message is the same. That we receive the bountiful blessings of God through faith. And it is faith alone. Not because the world doesn't try hard. Not because the world isn't morally upright. Not because the world doesn't want it. They do not receive the Holy Spirit, for they lack faith. But you know him, why? For he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Now, if you don't spend enough time in the Old Testament, if you don't read the scriptures well, you won't recognize what a shock this is going to be for the disciples. In the Old Testament, you've got plenty of stories where the Spirit of the Lord comes upon God's people. There's these great stories text of how the Spirit of the Lord empowers the, the prophets to speak the Word of God, or empowers the kings of Israel to do great things, or it motivates and moves the, the judges in the Old Testament to perform great, marvelous things, but consistently after empowering them, once the Spirit falls upon these individuals, then the Spirit leaves. these. It gives them the strength that they need, the direction, the motivation. Have you ever had that experience where somehow you're called upon something and, and, and God fills you and you sense his power, you sense his direction, you sense his wisdom, and you faithfully follow through with that task or that job or you share the gospel with somebody or you read something, you teach something. There's that sense of, wow, God's really present here. And you sit there and think, I want that always. I want that feeling always. And the disciples, I'm sure, would have felt the same thing. I want that sense of God's presence with me always. But what they'd seen in the scriptures for millennium was that God temporarily empowers his believers to do things and then leaves. And all of that changes in the New Testament. All of that changes right here with the promise of Jesus that the Holy Spirit will not just come and empower you for a particular task, but that he will dwell in you. Okay, up until this point, we've talked about the Holy Spirit coming alongside of us in our difficulties and our struggles. So he's right here. So you get that imagery. I love that picture of the young girl who hears that God is with her always, and so she only sits on half of her chair, and you know she only eats off half of her plate and those kind of things. So the Jesus who is with her, the Holy Spirit who is with her can eat. The, that's a beautiful, cute image. Um, but it misses that central key spot that is true for every believer in this room if they know it or not. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. There is never a minute of your Christian existence where the Holy Spirit is not present in your life. It's kind of cute language to say Jesus lives in my heart. Well, he doesn't really. He dwells in heaven with the Father, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. On the other hand, the scriptures are clear that the Holy Spirit does dwell within you. It is the Holy Spirit who is present with you always, never to leave you. This is the blessing of why we say, I trust in the Holy Spirit. We're saying, I trust in the one who indwells us and who will never let us go. Verse 26 Jesus goes on and says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Uh, all right, now it'd be great to sit there and think suddenly we're all going to know quantum mechanics. And we're all going to be able to have a perfect knowledge and perfect perfect understanding of everything. Why? Because the text here promises that he will teach us all things. Well, read on. The text says, and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit's task in your life from the inside out is to, so that you might know all of what redemption brings into your life. Everything that Christ has done, the Holy Spirit brings forth in its fruit, not just so that you know it intellectually, so that you live that out permanently, daily in your life. So the blessing of the Holy Spirit, we trust, we lean into the Holy Spirit, because he is given by God the Father through Jesus Christ, because he will be with us forever, never leaves us, because he indwells us, within us, he is there, present within us, and because he will lead us into everything that Christ has revealed to us. Verse 27, then says, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, My peace I give you. Now, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and suddenly Jesus says, My peace I leave with you. And it's possible that Jesus is just shifting gears. He's been talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now he shifts gears to talk about peace. But if you read this passage in its context, you'll realize that he cycles right back to be talking about the Holy Spirit again because he has one interest in mind here. This also... My peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. That is the Holy Spirit. We tend to think of the peace of God as that calmness, that patience, that serenity that will settle upon our hearts at moments of trial. All that is true. But Jesus identifies the peace of God with the Holy Spirit. And he says this, and therefore, we stand with confidence and say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I trust in the Holy Spirit because he's sent by God the Father. He is sent by the Son into our lives to indwell us forever, to lead us into all righteousness so that we might experience the peace of God. That, that is so much my hope for you. It is my constant prayer for me. And it is my hope and expectation for us as a body as we move forward, as we say with confidence, I believe in the Holy Ghost. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we do thank you for the gift of the Spirit that you have sent him to us into our lives that he indwells us and leads us into all righteousness. Father, thank you for not leaving us abandoned. Jesus, thank you for sending your spirit. Spirit, thank you for your eternal presence. Now and always we pray. The way that Jesus taught us to pray together saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.